0: of closing out Missions Month, and, uh, and I love doing it. And I almost always try to bring attention to uh, the sixth shared value of Soma Church, which is missional living, okay? We value, as a church, we value living out the love of Jesus Christ, believing that it will compel spiritually lost people to follow him. Okay? It's up on the screen. You can read that. There's scriptures if you want to write some of those down real quick. All that's on the website as well. Um, but that's what we believe. We really believe that. And I want to define a few things in that statement to set us up a little bit for what I'm going to share with you tonight. One of those being spiritually lost. I want to define what I mean when I say that. Um, one is fairly obvious. The spiritually lost person is someone who doesn't understand the love of God. They have not put their trust in Jesus Christ yet by their own admission. They are rejecting, because if you're not um, accepting or receiving, you are rejecting, right? They are rejecting the love of Christ. They are rejecting the life of Christ. And uh, this also includes someone, and I want you to hear me, because this might this might be someone that you know or you've had encountered with. You may have been this person at one time. This also includes someone who, with their lips, confess Jesus, but with Their lives, they reject him. In other words, there's no fruit. And either of those need to be born again. They need to be born of the Holy Spirit of God. So we're talking about an unsaved person right there. But at the very same time, and I want you to hear me here, at the very same time, we're talking about the person who does understand the love of God, who has put their trust in Christ, but somewhere along the way, they have lost their trust in or maybe the value of the local church. Okay, so I want you to think about those two categories as we move forward tonight. I also want to define missional living because it's somewhat of a new uh, phrase that has been coined in the last several years. <laughs> missional living is basically living as a missionary, okay? Living as a missionary, someone who is committed to the great commandment, which we all know, loving God and loving Others, right? Loving our neighbors as ourselves, but also committed to the great commission. And we know what that is. Jesus said, go and make disciples. So it's someone who is committed to reaching those who are spiritually lost. Uh, In several places, Jesus talks about people who are um, spiritually blind. Okay? So spiritually lost, spiritually blind. And this is how every believer is supposed to live. Now, I want you to hear me because I'm talking to every one of us. There's no one that is exempt. I don't know that there's really ever anybody that's exempt from any message that comes forth. But this is even more so true tonight. Every believer is supposed to live missionally. And the role of the church is to encourage those people, to equip those people. And when I say people, I'm talking about us, aren't I? And to empower, in other words, give opportunity to do so if it's in their power to do so everyone, every believer to live that way, equip them, encourage them, empower them to live missionally. This is what we mean when we say that the vision of Soma Church is to help people choose the way, know the truth, and to live the life of Jesus Christ. I was thinking this week about when Jesus said, I will build my church. He's the one that said that. You guys know that, right? I will build my church. And it says that the gates of hell will not prevail over it or overpower it and this is what he's talking about he's talking about local churches that are filled with people committed to the commission living out the love of jesus with extended hearts with extended hands in fact put your hand over your heart just go ahead and do that i promise we're not going to say the pledge of allegiance all right you've seen those churches that have the big flags everywhere and we we're not doing that But I want you to say this almost as a prayer. Say, Lord, help me learn learn. to extend my heart. heart. Okay, and I want you to put your hand forward and just kind of, if somebody's in front of you, you can kind of pat that person on the back, you know. If there's not anybody in front of you, just pat the air, uh, you know. Okay, Elijah's in the house. Okay, some of you get that, some of you don't. Okay, and I want you to pray this prayer. "Lord, Lord, help me learn to extend my hand. This is really important, isn't it? You know, over the last several decades, the local church as a whole, there are exceptions, but as a whole, has really missed this method, uh, method of reaching people. We've really missed it. I think the church has relied on the, the Christianness of our nation to fill their churches to fill their pews. Their uh, church growth, which is a f- funny thing. Again, Jesus said he was going to build the church. But church growth met- methods have been really relaxed, relying on the fact that the nation as a whole is a Christian nation. Okay, And because of that, I think there are some assumptions that the church for probably 60 plus years have, have operated under, these assumptions, that are really becoming less and less true every year. For example the church's minister or their outreach has been dependent upon this assumption that young adults will return to church once they get married you guys ever thought about that heard that or when they have kids no people don't worry about it they'll come back to church when they start having kids because they're just going to need the church they're going to come back to church that's an assumption that the church at large has used as an outreach tool they'll come back or that people will turn to god When they hit crisis, that is a major assumption that the church for the last several decades has been under. Or that most people will come back to what they left when they were young. Kind of going to that Old Testament, uh, uh, train up a a child in the way that he should go and he will never depart from it. You guys know what I'm talking about? So there's this assumption that because I trained them well when they were young that they were going to just come back. And so we do very little to reach out to people. Why? Because they're going to come back. We train them right. They're going to come back. You guys understand what I'm, kind of the language I'm talking? Another one is that people in general, when people have spiritual needs, they are going to look to the church to fulfill them. And I think there was a day when this was true. You know, we look back, we, some of us are older than others, and we remember the days when people were just coming to church in droves, and churches were huge, and everything was about church, and every night of the week was something about church. You had Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, some sort of event on Saturday. You guys know what I'm talking about? It was all-encompassing. It was true for a while, but the uh, the reality is that unchurched people are learning to live comfortably without God. You guys hear what I'm saying? That's the reality. The culture that we live in, people are living pretty comfortably without God, without church. Affluence has helped people believe that they have all they need for life. When I say affluent, I don't mean that everybody's rich. Okay, you think about the poorest person in this country could be rich in another country. Okay, so I'm not talking about that, but that idea that we have everything. I don't need God. I have everything I need right here in front of me. That whole idea that people turn to God in a crisis. Listen, I honestly don't think that people think that the church can do anything about their needs. They're not looking to the church to help them with their needs anymore. Church is irrelevant in a lot of ways. Think about this. You can only come back to something that you've known. Isn't that true? You can only return to, come back to, something that you've previously known. What about the second and third generation of unchurched people? What do they have to come back to? Now, they can come to church, but as far as they're going to come back to what they've known, not if this is the third generation of an unchurched family. You hear what I'm talking about? These assumptions have gotten us into a lot of trouble as it relates to outre- uh, outreach. Something that is, you know, in the scheme of things relatively new is this whole personalized, Googleable able um, spirituality that really doesn't demand anything from anyone or anything else. In other words, people can get their spiritual needs fixed online. They can listen to podcasts. They can listen to, um, you know, They can watch services, worship services. They can read blogs. They can do all that. And none of that's intrinsically evil, but it's it's really hurting the effectiveness of church. Can you feel me on that? Can you feel what I'm talking about? I have a little spirit of seriousness. You know, maybe I'll, I don't know, but I'm kind of serious. I'll try to lighten it up. But it really breaks my heart that so many believers even are unconnected to church because they feel like it doesn't help them or the church has hurt them. There's a variety of reasons why someone who loves the Lord doesn't love his body. Amen? Part of the problem is that the model of church, the model of church that most of us are familiar with is designed to reach and help church people. Now let that sink in for a second. The model of church that most of us are familiar with is designed, set up, ran, positioned to minister to church people. And that's not bad because that's what the church is for, the building up and equipping of the saints. Paul says that in Ephesians 4. But as it relates to reaching out to the community, we're not even hardly thinking about unchurched people. We're depending upon those old assumptions that they're just going to come into our doors. How many of you know they're not coming into our doors anymore? Can I get a hallelujah? Not hallelujah that they're not coming, but I hear what you're saying. (laughs) Let me rephrase that. I want you to write this down. This is my sermon in a sentence for tonight. And I want you to get this and you'll see how this applies. Our model must match our mission. Our model must match our mission. And this is true of anything. You can apply this to anything in your life. Your home life, family, uh, your work, your school, your sports, your activities. Uh, anything, right? We're applying this to the Great Commission. Our model must match Our mission, I love what Jesus says really anywhere. Anything that Jesus says, anytime, transcends uh, culture. It transcends, (laughs) are you laughing at me? You are, my brother-in-law. I'll deal with him later. But think about it. Anything Jesus says at any, at any time, even though he said it way back then, it's super retro, but it's always relevant. It transcends time. It transcends culture. It transcends all of those things. And so when you ask yourself, well, what is our mission? Um, or more specifically, what is our method? You can always look to what Jesus said. And I want you to turn to Matthew 5. Because he says something here that is timeless. It always works. It doesn't matter if they're unsaved or unchurched. It doesn't matter if they, they um, have church in their background or if they don't have church in their background. The people that we're trying to reach out to, what he says here is timeless. He says, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5, verse 14. Most of us are familiar with this verse. You are the light of the world. Now, I want you to think about what he's saying. What an honor it is for Jesus to call us literally what he calls himself. And he doesn't do that to elevate us in any way. If anything, he does it to indicate what we have in us. There's a place in John where he says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Another place in John, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness but will have The light of life. Lift your hands to the Lord and say, thank you that I have the light of life. Come on, give me some some feedback here. Thank you, Lord, Lord. for the the light of life. There's another place in John where he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew, we're hearing him teach us something that's profound, but is really important for us to get. He says, you and I are the light of the world. You and I are the light of the world. Tonight we sing, Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, be my everything. Right? You guys remember that? Christ in me, Christ in me. That's Colossians 1.27. We we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the hope of glory. Of glory, the hope of of peace, the hope of refuge, the hope of safety, the hope of provision, the hope of protection, the hope of uh, all kinds of stuff. Paul says in Romans 2, and I don't know if you've ever read this or thought about it, but he says, You yourself are a guide to the blind. Wow. A light to those who are in darkness. Have you ever thought that you are a guide? Everyone in this room, if they have Christ in them, then they are carrying the hope of glory. And Paul says in Romans 2 that you are a guide to the blind. You are a guide to the lost. You are a guide to the weary. A light to those who are in darkness. And and that's why he goes on to say, a city on a hill. Y'all reading that there? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And you have to think about that, what he's saying culturally. Most of the cities in that area in that day were made of that that white limestone stuff. I've seen it. It's super bright. I mean, it literally gleams in the sun. You wouldn't be able to miss it because um, cities a lot of times were strategically built high up on a hill. So whether it's reflecting the sun during the day or whether it's glowing with the light of the oil lamps in the windows from the people that live there at night. You guys know what I'm talking about? anyone who was weary from travel or maybe someone that was running from trouble, they would see that city from afar and hope would rise up in them. My situation is about to change. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Then he says, nor does any light, anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, real quick, I want you to just say, in the house. Say it into your hand. In the house. You got it? Now, put it on the shelf for a second, because we're going to come back to that. Okay? Look what he says. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. We know that a lampstand is kind of tall, because everybody knows that the higher a light is lifted up, the more territory it will be able to cast light upon. That makes sense, right? We know that. That's like a, That's like a eternal truth. I don't know. We know that that's true. Listen, this is about influence. What he's talking about is influence, our ability to be influential to the area around us. He says, be a city on a hill. Don't don't hide your light. If anything, put it high above, lift it up as much as you can and be an influence to those around you. So many of us do not take advantage of the realm of influence that God has put us in. And we certainly don't do anything to extend that realm of influence. And we do very little to increase the ability to influence. And yet, this is what he's talking about. Look what he says next. Let your light shine before men. In other words, allow your light to shine. You know what? It's like, almost like saying, insist that your light shines. <laughs> you can look at it this way. Position your light In such a way that it will shine before men, and that's what he says. In such a way, talk about method that people will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now I want to take a second, and I want to honor someone. Can I do that? I want to brag on and honor someone. Jason and Danielle, handy, y'all come up here for a second. They're like, "What you talking about, Willis?" Come up here. As they're coming up, let me just say I, I can remember. The first time they came in at our doors, we were at the Discovery Science Place still. And we met them and instantly enjoyed meeting them, okay? And I, it, was, it was wonderful. They are like, what are y'all talking about? I really just want to rub your belly. Can I do that? Okay. Make a wish. No. Um, but here's what's cool. Uh, we loved them right from the start. But here's what's cool. I think it was either the very next week or one of their first few weeks. And you guys might remember. I saw them approached, I don't know who it was, it maybe another couple or a single person or whatever, and took them out to eat. You remember that? Do you? You do remember that. And I remember going, you've had kids since then. <laughs> well, he has not and he remembers. I remember. You remember, Melissa? And I remember just going, that is so cool. They're new here. They shouldn't be taking people out. And then I thought, why not? It's not about being a part of the church. It's about being a believer. They're just doing what they do. And I love that. And along the way, over the past four years, five years, something like that, these guys have served in some capacity faithfully almost week to week. And they've opened their home, and they've opened their house. They're leading a life group now. They're leading a life group, people. They have three crazy kids. And this one is bound to be just as energetic as the other three. (laughs) And they're opening... Their hearts, they're opening their hands, they're opening their home. And I just want to honor you guys. You're, you're the bomb, okay? Now, I want you to stay there. I want you to stay there because I, want, um, I would like Lori Cook to come up. Because one of the things I've loved about Jason and Danielle, they have allowed me to have one of my most joyful seasons of ministry And I want you to hear why. Lori, would you mind coming up and share?
1: Uh, So this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. I'm a little nervous, like giving a testimony because this is not my background. You know, we've never been really exposed to that. Our background was not with giving testimony or coming up and talking in front of people and sharing this sort of thing. So bear with me a second while I, you know... Get, get it together but um, everything he said is so true about y'all, y'all are so, y'all have been so open and just welcoming to, to me and Stephen and our family and have just loved us from day one and I'll, I'll tell you about day one because it was crazy we we met, our husbands worked together that's how we met, we all moved here the same month, uh, four years ago and um which was wonderful to be able to meet somebody in this, you know, that same summer that we have something in common with, but that we had this trip to San Antonio for business and we're on this bus and I'm crocheting and, you know, Danielle is so artistic and creative and I think Jason called it yarning, and so we had a little <laughs> fun with that. And um, so Danielle asked me, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I, I don't know, it's probably a project I still haven't finished four years later is the truth, that's probably the truth, because she finishes everything in like 30 minutes and I take four years, so... So, we have some differences about our personalities. <laughs> but, um, so I wrote it down because, you know, I'll forget. But, but uh, we had this wonderful meeting where we set, it's a seven hour trip from Tyler to, I think it was about seven hours, and we talked the most of the way, you know, and got to know each other some and, and just really connected. And one of the first things that, you know, we always, we, eventually the, the conversation came to religion came to talk about religious stuff and I was like well you know my background's a little funny so I don't want to offend you with (laughs) I think I even (laughs) said that with some of you know something I say so I just kind of don't talk about it because it's you know first of all painful and hard to talk about and you don't and you want to connect with somebody that you like you don't want to (laughs) immediately put them off with well I'm kind of you know got a background and she was that, in fact, fired her up. She's like, oh, no, let's talk about it. And eventually <laughs> we ripped it out and discussed it. But but I like that about you. You know, it's one of the things I love about you and you being so, you know, just sitting back listening, nodding, yeah, agreeing, <laughs> when the two of us get going, you know. But um, to tell you a little bit about that background, my husband and I grew up uh, in the same church, which was pretty strict and legalistic, It was, um, which is, you know, a lot of people have – been through that and and that's okay that's okay for some people it wasn't necessarily okay for me I'm not downing anybody I don't want to be negative that's not what this is about because everybody God puts us where we're supposed to be and we have our journey and and you know it goes the way it's supposed to go but it shaped our perceptions about God and how he deals and interacts with people and um and you know and sometimes (laughs) I just want to tell you in that way for us what we're experiencing here in SOMA is, 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 in some ways, many ways, the opposite of what we experienced in our past. Um, the loving acceptance, the, you know, openly praying for you, just, you know, really ready to, to be there, whatever your needs are. I've experienced that with so many people here. I can look around and point, point you all out. Um, I'm very grateful for that, uh, first of all. But, um... I want to emphasize shown, they, sh- they have shown us, y'all have intangible ways, you know, what God's love is, what it means. When we're struggling and hurt and broken and feeling that way, and I've ugly cried on her shoulder so many times about, <laughs> not Jason's shoulder, but I'm sure he's seen it, but ugly cried about things that have just hurt me so much in the past and being separated Feeling separated from God. And I'm sure, you know, everybody has their feelings about that or have been through things like that. I'm sorry, I don't want to <laughs> start crying. You know, I'm going to fall here in a minute. Um, but um, anyway, I would say, <laughs> I'm usually better at speaking in public. This is a first me. But like I said, you know, we grew up keeping a Sabbath in the holy days, and um, one time when Soma was was honoring the the Jewish, the Passover, I, I don't remember, how many years, was it three years ago, you'd invited me to that and really connected through that, and I was intrigued, and I was saying I'll never go back to another church ever because, you know, I'd been raised in this church, and it split, and it splintered and went in all these different ways, and the relationships we had with other people were... We're, we're separated. And that was our foundation, like Tony was talking about, where you live and breathe that church, and that's your whole life. And, you know, I never thought I would have an opportunity to be in a place where I feel that again, or even, and I experienced this on a completely different level than I did before. Um, you know, Danielle would quote scripture with me, and pray with me. and when, and, and there were things that That we would talk about that, uh, you know, she would say, well, that's just, you know, that's not God. And point that out. And that was really, the way you reached me with that was to be, you know, hug me and tell me that's not God. You know? And let's pray Mm -hmm. about that. And I can't tell you how many times that made a huge difference. Um, Like I said, they invited me. And one of the things, y'all notice, I'm a crier. If you see me around here, I cry a lot. And when I came to Soma, I was overwhelmed with the worship here. I had never experienced the presence of God like that before in my life. And to come in front of, to come with all these other people who love God and are in different parts of their life and they don't, you know, you don't know what somebody else is going through, but we all get to stand in front of God and praise him and acknowledge him and we have that privilege of doing that, and I was overwhelmed with that the first few well, the first few times I came here several years ago. And I was, and I would leave and just feel almost crushed with this feeling of gratitude and fear because I'd not experienced that, and I and I didn't know really what what was was happening there. Didn't know how God was going to deal with me, and I've been back and forth and back and forth, just out of fear of not having a place. Not knowing what God wants out of me. Um, you know, I have a lot of walls. We had walls. And by you being there for over the years, where I'd whether I'd come or not, you know, whether I would say, whether I would come every week or I didn't come, or you, you were always there loving us, being our friend, showing us what God is. I love you, <laughs> I love you too. But it's. It's made such an impact on my life. I've had this thing inside my heart that I always wanted to have a place to go and have my family <laughs> come and worship with me. And I, you and I take up the whole back row. <laughs> <laughs> my new son-in-law plays the guitar with yours. My daughter is playing with little kids in the back, te- teaching, with the ki- teaching the kids. I get to raise my hand and praise God and not feel, you know, awkward anymore about that and (laughs) it's such a level of gratitude I don't know if I can express (laughs) that Um, I don't want to forget anything (laughs) I want to talk about God's mercy and grace because you guys have extended that to us and you know our background was legalistic and we were always told you know, you have to do these certain things to gain God's grace and measure and love. That is an egregious lie that the enemy puts out there to keep you from being with God, being near God, being, having a relationship with him. And that is something that I have been shown by all of you, but and you guys especially being in our home and loving us, and just showing us mercy. Even when we, you know, don't necessarily disagree, you know, agree about whatever with religious stuff. And that's always been like, what about this? What about that? We had these great conversations. But that's, that is a lie. And that, that we, we are separated from God by not doing everything. He loves us, period, the end. Um, you know, y'all never stopped inviting us to church. You never stopped inviting Stephen to softball. You know, your kids call us Aunt Lala and Uncle Stephen. You know, we're your family. And right before, right before church, we were, well, when we were talking about missions, we were talking about signing up, and, you know, she wants to go to Israel. I'm sure they both want to go to Israel and wherever else God takes them. And, she, and I said, <laughs> she goes, yeah, I want to go. But she pointed to Tiny Baby here. Well, you've been on missions with me for the last four years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You've been missioning me. You've been missioning my family. Wow. You may not have left this area, but you have been missioning us as a family, and we love you so much, and we're so grateful. You know, like I said, I've got my little row back there, my daughter <laughs> who's always, who's been a believer for a long time and had a, a different path, we have just now got to worship together together this summer for the first time with her new husband, and that's been an enormous blessing, and I'm not sure that... You know, you don't know what you say to people, where, you know, just how you act, whether you act, ask them out for lunch or whether you ask them to come to your house or whether you, you know, involve them in a softball game. You don't know where that's going to go. And I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed by all of you, by all of you for loving me and loving our family. And, and you all have a real gym, The light's shining. So.
0: stuff, isn't it? I'm going to have the worship team come up. I want to share one more thing out of scripture with you while they're coming. You know, sometimes as a pastor, you know, you, you're constantly dealing with, um, difficult things, difficult circumstances, difficult testimonies, difficult lives. Um, and sometimes you ask yourself, why, why am I doing this? (laughs) Just being honest. Right? You know what my answer has been lately? Stephen and Lori Cook. That's why I do this. Miguel and Stephanie. Sam and Caitlin. Lauren. The wee one. Whose name, whose name skips my mind right now because of all the babies that are around here. I can't keep up with Amen? i want to share one more verse with you. And then the team is going to um, share a song with us. Um, again, to give us another opportunity to worship. And it, it was in Mark chapter 8. Verse 22. And it says that they came to Bethsaida. It's talking about Jesus and the disciples. They came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Can I just say that that of all the checklists that we need to have in our life, and we need checklists, don't we? I'd need checklists. But something that is not on our checklist that needs to be added to our checklist is bring a blind man to Jesus. Amen? So that Jesus can touch him. Amen? Don't you love that? Underline that in your Bible. They brought a blind man to Jesus. Now, this is the people in the community. But they heard they were coming. In fact, if you look at that first line, they came to Bethsaida. I've got to show you something. And you can write these things out by your Bible. You know, it's just in our language, it just says they came to Bethsaida. But you know what that word actually means? They came as one with influence. They came as one carrying influence. They came as one exalted on a lampstand. And where did it say they came into? Where did it say they came into? Bethsaida. You know what Bethsaida means? Beth, of course, means house. Everybody grab it. Let's bring it back off the shelf. Beth means house, like Bethlehem, house of bread. Bethsaida means house of fish. What did Jesus say that he called his disciples to be? Fishers of men. So the disciples, Jesus and his disciples, came carrying influence into the house of fish in such a way that it was illuminating so much of the house. And that influence caused the people in that community to bring a blind man to Jesus. Isn't that good? It needs to be on our to-do list to bring a blind man to Jesus. To carry authority and to carry influence into the house of fish. Your house of fish is your workplace, your schools, your activities. Maybe your home. Maybe Thanksgiving is going to be a big house of fish. Maybe Christmas, the holidays coming up. All it is is a big house of fish. And it's even And yet so true. Look what it says next. And I need a, I need a, Brian, can you come help me? Is that cool? All right, this is my, this is my prop. You're more than a prop, but you're my prop. Listen to this. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes... And laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they're like trees walking around. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently, and the man was restored. And he began seeing everything clearly. That word clearly means um, as from a distance. In other words, he had perfect vision. It wasn't, oh, it was, oh, you hear what I'm saying? And Jesus sent him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. So apparently the guy didn't live in Bethsaida. But Jesus said, Do not enter the village. I want to show you something. Remember what it said? It said, Jesus was a response to the request touch him, heal him. Jesus said, Hmm. Grabs him by the hand. This is slightly awkward, but we're going to. Brings him over here outside of the city. Isn't that right? And then begins ministering to him. By the way, in a way, like, what is happening? Jesus is spitting in the dude's eye. Never done that before. Not only that, but it says that Jesus put his hands on him, did something, asked him, do you see anything? I see a little bit. Really? What's up with Jesus? Is he losing his touch? I see a little bit see men, but they're like trees walking around. Jesus touched him again. I don't think Jesus was thrown off. I don't think he was freaked out. So I'll come back to that, but let me just say something. The reason he brought him out of the city, Matthew 11, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For your unbelief it will, be, it will be better for Tyre and Sidon, two other cities that were wicked, it will be better for them in the day of judgment than it will be for you, think about what Jesus is saying, he's calling out two cities on purpose, one of them Bethsaida for their unbelief, I mean nails them it's going to be bad for you on the day of judgment because of your unbelief where did they come into? the house of fish, the house of unbelief I want to do something for you, but I need to get you out of that atmosphere. That's not the right atmosphere for you. So he brings him out of the city. But remember, this guy must have been caught up with this city. And so maybe he did have a lack of faith. Maybe unbelief was something that was in him. I I don't know. Because it says the people brought the man to him. God could have been like this. I'm going to go to Jesus. So could it be that? Jesus was just dealing with the man where he's at. How you doing? I don't know. I mean, I see a little bit. It's like, okay. Now what do you see? And it's powerful because I think just like the church for the last several decades, they had this little method. And this is what we do. This is how we do it. And Jesus is telling us, you know what? Our method needs to match our mission. This is what's unique to this person. This is what we need to do. This is who we need to be right now. Sometimes you can say, "Hey, bro, this is what you need. You need." It. But sometimes we have to say, "I'll be patient. I'll listen." Hey Amen. This is important, isn't it? And at the end, he tells him that now that he sees clearly, he said, "Go home." Go back to that place of unbelief. Don't go back to that. But think about it. That's all he had known. It kind of is true that we go back to what we know. We've got to offer. I don't even know how to say that. A new present, a new future. Amen. Let's stand. out getting past ourselves seeing the heart and the needs of others extending our hearts extending our hands it's got to become part of our regiment it's got to be part of who we are we've got to be people who are living missionaries that are committed to the great commandment loving god loving others as we love ourselves the great commission go make disciples, let your light shine in such a way that they will see your good works. They will see what's in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and put their faith in God.